We now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. You know the cross, an event that took place about 2,000 years ago, as you and I understand it was, was God's greatest demonstration of His love for us. The Bible is so clear on that. That God shows His love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is love, the Bible says. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave Himself as a sacrifice, as a ransom for all of us. This is the greatest expression of love. So the cross, it's God's greatest expression of love for you and for me. But this morning, I want us to just come to a place where we will understand that the cross was intended, or the cross is intended to be a present tense reality in our lives. Bear with me, meditate with me this morning as we look at the cross and see that it is meant to be a present tense reality. First of all, we, you know, we need to ask the question, why the cross? I mean, could there not have been some other way by which God could have reconciled man to himself? And why was there a need for the cross? Sometimes we could just, you know, kind of put out different ways. What if God had, you know, looked at this option? For example, what if God, had, could God not have just overlooked everyone's sins? Just overlook everyone's sins and say, it's okay. I love you so much, so it's, it's okay. Could he not have just overlooked the very first sin that it, Man ever committed in the Garden of Eden. It's okay, you made a mistake. You disobeyed me. Now there are at least three reasons why God could not have done that. Some of these would come to your mind right away. First of all, God's love has to be balanced with His justice. He's a God of love, but He's also a just God. And in His justice, He just can't overlook sin. His justice always says, the wages of sin is death. Or the soul that sins will die. Or the warning that he gave to Adam in the very beginning. He said, the day you eat of it, you will die. So there had to be death. And death not in the sense of physical death. But as far as the scriptures are concerned, death means an eternal separation from God in hell. A banishment from the presence of God. And that's exactly what will happen to Satan, as you will recall. When he decided to rebel against God, he died. In the sense, he was banished from the presence of God. He was cast out of God's presence. He lost what he had in the presence of God. And so God's justice demands that the soul that sins will die. One sin sufficient for death, banishment from his presence. The second reason why God couldn't just overlook man's sin was that if he overlooked one sin, he would have to overlook all the remaining sins that would ever have to be committed, which would, be, which would end up in a very chaotic world, very unlike the character of God, and very disconnected from His original plan. And God would have to be sitting in heaven saying, let them do what they want, I'm just overlooking them, I love them so much. And no well-meaning parents would even do that. And the third reason why God couldn't just overlook the sin of man is because man's disobedience was not only sinning against God, but it ended up in him selling out to the devil. So really, 
the consequence of that first disobedience was more than just, oh, I hurt God, I'm sorry. But it was, I'm selling myself now into bondage to an enemy who has now gained authority over my life. And so God couldn't just overlook that. In one act of disobedience, Adam had sold the entire human race into control of God's enemy, Satan. And so it is more than just overlooking a deed that Adam did. Now some of us might say, well, you know, couldn't God have tried some other options? How about if he just told all of us that, okay, if you do wrong deeds, you need to balance them out with some good deeds. Or at least have more good deeds than all your wrong deeds. Then it would be okay. I would be able to still pardon all your wrong because the number of your good deeds outweigh the count of your wrong deeds. Couldn't God have said something like that? Then there would have not have been the need for the cross. Now again, you go back into the same thinking. First of all, one sin is enough to result in death. Death, which means an eternal banishment from the presence of a holy God. One sin is enough for that. And so no matter how many good things you've done, even the one wrong thing has to have this consequence of banishment from God's presence. Another reason why that would not work is because man, from the time his first disobedience came in, the Bible says ever since then, every human being is born in sin. He's already conceived in sin. His very nature is one of sin. So it's not a matter of good works and bad works. It's now a matter of who you are in your inner person. Your inner person has been changed. For by one man sin came into the world and death through sin. And death passed upon all men for all have sinned. The psalmist said, in sin my mother conceived me. I was born this way. I was born with a sin nature. So it's not the issue of whether I do enough good works or bad works. There's something in me that already disconnects me from God. I'm born disconnected from God. And finally the Bible also says that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. They're just not good enough to be counted as good works. It's just not good enough. Or how about another option? Why couldn't God just, you know, after all in the Old Testament, He instituted this whole thing of sacrificing bulls and goats. Why couldn't God just have kept that going till today? It would have been very easy. We would have just automated the whole process. You know, put in a rupee, punch the coin, a goat killed, ten of your sins gone. I mean, we would have, without a high technology, we would have done it remotely as well. You know, go online. How many goats do you want killed for how many sins? You know, I mean, we would have just been very brilliant with this whole process. If only God had allowed that whole thing to keep going on. I mean, could he not have used bulls and goats like he did in the Old Testament? Or, or used some angelic intermediary to become a substitute for the sins of this world? That would not have worked either. Because Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verses 4 and 5 says, The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Therefore, it tells about Jesus, he, he was given a body, meaning he had to become a man. So really, the blood of bulls and goats, the sacrifices in the Old Testament, was really not removing sin. 
They could never wash away sin. It was only a pointer to the ultimate sacrifice of the cross. And that's because man was the one who sinned. An innocent animal cannot take the place of man. Man himself had to pay for his own sins. So you needed a being from the human race. Either man, each individual paid for his own sin, or you find a being among your own selves who was totally sinless, who now could become the right substitute for everybody else. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sins of the whole world. In the Old Testament, they were just acting as a pointer to the cross. So it's not enough, bulls and goats. An intermediary, an angelic being would not suffice because man sinned. Man had to pay. And either every individual paid for their own sins, which is what happened, or a human being would come who had no sin at all, who could now say, I will die for their sins, become a substitute. Or another option would have been, why not if all of us designate one or more holy men to become our intermediaries? Unfortunately, the Bible says, all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is no one who is righteous, not even one. So while there, be, there may be many self-proclaimed men who claim a certain level of, of righteousness. And uh, claim a certain level of connection with God. And claim to be intermediaries with God. We call them gurus. Yet they are all sinners. Because there is no one who is righteous, not even one. And so no human being, born of a woman, through human agency, could be an intermediary between man and God. So all of this, as you reason through all this, you will ultimately come to the fact that this, the cross makes absolute sense. Because only an eternal God, who was without sin, absolutely holy, who then took upon the form of a man, could now go to the cross and say... I'll die for all of you. I'm without sin. I'm one of you. I've become one of the human race. And I will do it for all of you. And let the wrath of God come upon him in all its fullness. And that's what happened on the cross. But here's what I want to point out this morning. The Bible tells us very interestingly in the, in the book of Revelation, the 13th chapter and the 8th verse. It says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. He is the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. In history, the cross was a timed event. Probably AD 33, if you want to be somewhat accurate. But in the realm of the Spirit, in eternity, it was from the foundation of the world. The Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. In time, the cross is an historical event. In eternity, it was already there. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 tells us that we are redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Verse 19 says, Who was foreordained from the foundation of the world to be this sacrifice? So in eternity, even before the cross happened, he was already the lamb slain, foreordained, foreknown that way. 
So all the Old Testament saints, although they were all in sin, yet they experienced righteousness. How could a man called Abraham have righteousness and be called a friend of God when he was born in sin and the cross had not yet taken place? How could Old Testament saints walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, which we know is only for those, only could happen after the cross? Because the Holy Spirit was given after the cross. And we understand that walking in the power of the Holy Spirit is a blessing that comes post the cross and resurrection. But how could Old Testament saints who are men in sin walk in the power of the cross? How could they demonstrate authority over demonic powers and counter the forces of Baal and others? When the cross had not yet happened in time. Because he was a lamb of God already slain from the foundation of the world. And all they had to do was have faith in God. And because of their faith, the Bible says in Romans 4, righteousness was granted to Abraham. The cross had not yet happened. And yet righteousness was given to him because of faith. Why? Because Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In history, it happened in time. In eternity, it was already foreknown. And so Abraham walked in it by faith in lieu of what was going to happen in time. The Old Testament saints, because of their faith in God, experienced a measure of the cross in their lives. Why? Because he was already the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world in eternity, in the realm of the Spirit. So what does that make, mean to you and me today? If you look at the cross historically, it's a past event. But if you look at it in the realm of the Spirit, it's a present tense reality. Today we haven't come to commemorate a historical event. You and I have come because the cross is a present tense reality in the realm of the Spirit. Amen? If we do it just in the realm of time, we say 2,000 years ago, Jesus died. Very sad. Feel sorry for that. It's an event in time. But in the realm of the Spirit, and forever, as the book of Revelation says, He is the Lamb who was slain. Forever, He is the Lamb who was slain. Forever, His blood is powerful. Why? In the realm of the Spirit, that's the way it is. In time, it happened long, a long time ago. It's a historical event. But in the realm of the Spirit, He was a Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And He will always be the Lamb slain. Forever and ever. Amen. So what I want to challenge you and me today is to look at the cross not as an historical event, but as it is in the realm of the Spirit. An event that already people could experience before it happened and enjoy some of its benefits before it happened. And you and me, we are living post the cross, but today the cross is as real to you and me. Because we look at it and we understand it's an event, not just in time, but in the realm of the Spirit. Amen. The Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Forever the Lamb of God. Forever His blood is powerful. That's why the book of Revelation, looking in the future, always refers to Him as the Lamb. In the last book of the Bible, talking about the new heavens and the new earth, He's referred to as the Lamb. At one event, if you look at the last book of the Bible, if you look at it in time, it would be probably several thousand years post Golgotha. 
But in the realm of the spirit, he is still the lamb. And what he did is as powerful, thousands of years speaking in time, into eternity, as when it first happened. So the question I want to put before you and me is this. Is the cross a present tense reality in your life? It's meant to be that. The Old Testament saints walked in some measure of it even before it happens. Abraham walked in righteousness. He was called a friend of God. They communed with God, which you and I would think only New Testament believers could experience. But they walked in some measure of it. They experienced it. My question to you and me is this. Is the cross a present tense reality? Are all the facets and dimensions of the cross and work in your life and mine today? It's meant not just to be something we look back to, but every day of our life, the cross is to be real in us. What are the facets of the cross? What are the dimensions of the cross? What are the workings of the cross that would come into our lives if we receive it in the realm of the Spirit? Obviously, our sins are dealt with on the cross. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own sinful way, but the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. See, obviously, every day you and I can walk in the present tense reality that my sins are forgiven. And if I were to do anything wrong, all the Bible asks me is if I confess my sins, He is faithful and just to forgive my sins, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood was not only something that was shed 2,000 years ago. It's effective in my life, in your life, even today. Amen? So we have cleansing from sin every day, every day, every day. Because the cross is an eternal event, if you want to call it. Before, after, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Is that effective in our lives? Are we embracing the cleansing power of the blood of the cross? The blood of Jesus Christ, the cleansing power of the cross in our lives. Are we enjoying it? Are we walking in it every day? The cross was also intended as a place where we could come into a right standing with God. Come into a place of righteousness with God. Isaiah wrote and said, again a prophet of the Old Testament, looking ahead to the cross. He wrote and said, by his sacrifice, by what he did, God's servant would justify many. The 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. He would justify many. He, God would see the anguish of his heart and be satisfied. He would justify many. The cross was intended to make you and me justified in the presence of God. Totally clean. Just as if you and I had never sinned. Are you and I walking in that power of the cross? Are you and I enjoying that day after day and saying, you know, the cross is real in my life. I stand before God justified. I'm not trying to stand before God based on my own merits. But I embrace the cross. And because of the cross, I stand justified before God Almighty. There is nothing I need to do to merit entrance into His presence. And nothing I can do to merit entrance into His presence. I just embrace the cross. And His cross... The Bible says in Hebrews 10, has opened up for us a new and living way. Therefore we have boldness, verse 19 of Hebrews 10. We have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. No guilt, no shame. The cross is at work in my life. Giving me access in the very presence of God. But the cross was also intended to break sin's dominion over your life and mine. 
Romans the sixth chapter, Paul writing several years later after the actual event, writes as though it was a present tense reality. He says that we have been crucified with him on the cross. Knowing this, Romans 6 verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the power of sin might be broken, and that we should no longer be slaves of sin. The cross was intended as a present sense reality to set you and me free from the power, the control of sin in our lives. Is that effective in your life and mine? Are, are you and I still struggling with sin, with bondage to sin? If we are, it means the power of the cross has not broken through in that realm of our lives. We haven't embraced its present tense reality and the power of the cross to set us free from the dominion and control of sin. The cross was intended to make you and me free from the control and dominion of sin. Amen. The power of the cross, a present tense reality. The cross also was intended... For you and me to be set free from vain traditions handed down to us from our forefathers. 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, We were redeemed from these vain traditions. Some versions translated as useless manner of living handed down to us. To the Jewish people it meant a certain thing. To the Greeks it meant a certain thing. To you and me it means something. What is it that has been handed down to you? Your vain manner of life. What is it that has been handed down to you from generations that you might think is still affecting you to today? The Bible says that the power of the cross cancels all of that. We are redeemed from what has been handed down to us because of the cross. Are you sitting in a state today where you're saying, you know, I'm suffering today because of what so and so and so and so did long time ago in my family tree. The cross cancels it. The cross breaks that. Have you embraced the power of the cross in that dimension of your life where you can say, God, it doesn't matter what you know, my great-grandfather did, my, father, my grandfather did, my father did. I'm embracing the power of the cross to set me free from this manner of life. I don't have to do the same thing. The cross was intended to set us free from that. The cross was intended to make us authority, give us authority over the powers of darkness. Because on the cross, the Bible tells us, Hebrews 2.14, Jesus annulled him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Colossians 2 tells us that he disarmed principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. Every believer who embraces the cross need fear no devil of hell. We don't have to be obsessed with the devil. And what He can do. The cross was meant to bring us to a place, uh, to bring us to a place where we walk in constant authority over the enemy. Not obsessed over what He can do and He cannot do against you and me. That's why the, the epistle of John in 1 John chapter 5 verse 18 says, Whoever is born of God, he just keeps himself and that wicked one does him no harm. If you keep yourself, don't worry about the devil. He can do you no harm. Amen. Be more obsessed with God. Rather than being worried about what harm the devil can do to you. Because he who was born of God keeps himself and that wicked one does not touch him, King James says. The cross was intended for you as a believer to walk in a place where the devil cannot touch you. He can't touch you. 
Have you embraced that working of the cross in your life? It's a present tense reality. Have you embraced it? And said, devil can't touch me. I'm not walking, I'm not bothered about what he's trying. If I have any interest, I'm only interested in annulling what he's trying to do. Canceling any scheme, any device against my life. Not worried about whether he's going to get through to me. But all just raising up a defense. Or canceling, going against what he would do to me. Canceling it. Destroying it. I'm on the offensive, if anything. Amen. The cross was intended to bring the blessing of Abraham. It's kind of funny because you would always think that we in the New Testament had greater blessing. But yet the Bible says, in Galatians 3, verse 13 and 14, that on the cross, Christ became a curse for us, so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. And that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Hanging on the cross, he became a curse. To remove every curse and release a blessing. You are blessed with the blessings of Abraham. What are the blessings of Abraham? They are righteousness. It's righteousness having a right standing with God. It's friendship with God. Abraham was a friend of God. It was a blessing in the realm of the spirit and it was a blessing in the natural realm. Because Abraham, the Bible says, God blessed him in all things. God made him to prosper. God increased him in riches, in wealth and honor. The blessing of Abraham covers every realm of every spiritual blessing and it covers every natural blessing. And that was made possible through the power of the cross. Have you embraced that aspect of the cross and said, God, if Jesus died to bring that blessing in my life, I want to embrace the cross enough to say, yes, I will receive the blessing of Abraham. I want to walk in it because Jesus died for it. That I will not, be, you know, I will not shun the blessing that God wants to put upon my life. He paid such a great price to release this blessing upon me. So I want to pursue, I want to take it. I want to walk in it. The blessing of Abraham. Have you embraced that reality of the cross in your life? And said, God, I want that. He became a curse for me. That the blessing of Abraham might come on my life. Or are you contented with just struggling through life? And saying, okay, I'll just go through it. Anyway, thank God my sins are forgiven. It's wonderful you embrace that aspect. But how about embracing every other aspect of the cross. And allowing it to become a present tense reality in our lives. Finally, I want to close with this. The apostle Paul said, I live crucified. I live crucified. Embracing another aspect of the cross in our lives. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. I'm living crucified. What's he talking about? In Galatians 6.14, Paul says, Here's what I will glory in. He says, God forbid that I should glory in anything, that I should boast in anything, save in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. He's saying the cross is a present tense reality. I've embraced it. I'm glorying in it. And here's what the cross is working in my life. The cross working in my life has made me dead to the world. God forbid that I say glory. Save in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. I am crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The cross is a present tense reality. It's worked in my life to a place. I'm dead to the world. There is no more attraction that the world has to me. 
My affections are not on the world. They are on God and His purposes. Have you allowed that dimension of the cross to work in your life? Or you can say, you know, take the world, but give me Jesus and I'll still be happy. I'm not saying that you and, all, you and I must just run away to some hill far away and say, you know, the world is crucified to me. I'm not talking about being an escapist. I'm talking about being in the world, but being crucified to it. You know that you're on a heavenly mission in the world. That's why you're here. That's why you're doing what you're doing and using the things of the world to fulfill a heavenly mission. You're not doing it because of affection for the things of the world. Because the cross has wrought a work in you where you are dead to the world. Is the cross a present tense reality in your life and mine? Or are you still struggling with attractions to the world and saying, God, this is so troubling me. This is so disturbing me. But this morning, I want to give us an invitation. He was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Even Old Testament saints walked and experienced in a measure of it, even before it historically happened. Today, you and I are living post the cross. We look, it's an event that took place 2,000 years ago, but it's as real for you and me today. If we will embrace it by faith. That's all the Old Testament people did. That's all you and I need to do. Embrace the cross by faith. Saying, God, this was for me. And today, I want it to be a reality in my life. Everything that Jesus did on the cross can become real for you and me today. There's healing on the cross because He took all our sicknesses and diseases. It happened 2,000 years ago, but today, people are healed by His strength. His stripes were laid 2,000 years ago. But today, if you embrace the cross by faith, healing flows through your body into every area of sickness and disease. And by His stripes, you are healed. Today, there's wholeness for emotional turmoil. Because Isaiah 53 says, The punishment that brings us shalom was upon Him. Peace, total well-being. Is your mind confused and turmoil, disturbed? At total unrest, the cross is a place where healing flows even for your emotional wounds and hurts and disturbances. But you and I must embrace the cross and allow it to become a present tense reality. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.